Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another episode of Broadway Nation, the podcast that tells the remarkable story of how immigrants, Jews, queers, African Americans, and other outcasts invented the Broadway musical and how they changed America in the process. I'm David Armstrong, and this is the third part of my conversation with author Barry Kester, whose new book is titled Round in Circles, the story of Rodgers and Hammerstein's Carousel. If you missed either of the two previous episodes, you may want to catch up with those before listening to this one. Today, Barry and I discuss the movie version of Carousel and why many people view it as the least successful of the Rodgers and Hammerstein film adaptations, as well as the groundbreaking 1993 National Theatre production that came to Broadway and introduced and revitalized the show for an entire new generation of fans, including Barry Kester, who became so enamored with the musical that eventually he wrote this book about it. We also delve into the show's difficult and controversial subject matter that often makes it challenging to stage in the 21st century. But first we focus on what is undoubtedly Carousel's most famous song, You'll Never Walk Alone, and explore the extraordinary impact that it's had on the world. Here we go. You devote an entire chapter to the song You'll Never Walk Alone. I do, yes. What's so extraordinary about that song, this Broadway show tune? How does it become virtually a hymn? Well, I think we made it a hymn. I don't think Rodgers and Hammerstein, they set out to write an inspirational song, but I think we gave it the life that it has because it affected and continues to affect so many of us in so many ways. Irving Berlin said when he first heard it that it reminded him of the 23rd Psalm. It had the power of the 23rd Psalm. And I think you know better than I why presidents have chosen to have it played at their inaugurations, why it was so powerful at the time of 9-11. It's what it does to us. It's much more than just a show tune. And this phenomenon of it becoming the football song is quite amazing because it means millions of people are singing the song who probably have never heard of Carousel, don't even know it's from a musical. Absolutely. How did that come about? 
It came about at Liverpool Football Club, where before a match began, they had a DJ who would play songs from the hit parade before the match. And week after week, the songs changed as songs moved into the hit parade and out of the hit parade. And in November 1963, a recording by an English pop group, Jerry and the Pacemakers, got to the top of the hit parade. When you Stone. Hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. So it was the last song played before the teams came out onto the field of play. And Jerry and the Pacemakers are sort of rivals of the Beatles. To a they were strong rivals. They had three number ones on the trot uh, in the 1960s. Yeah, they were very big here. I can't be sure as to how I, I was never into the pop scene. I was, and as my kids never ceased to remind me, still am very square. <laughs> as the song began to fall down the charts, the crowd at Anfield, the supporters continued to sing it, even over what was already being played over the loudspeaker system. So the DJ was quick on his feet and continued to play it week after week after week and it became Liverpool's song and still is to this day. Liverpool, they're a football club steeped in history of spine-tingling glory and at times truly heartbreaking tragedy. But when you are part of Liverpool Football Club, you'll never walk alone. footage you can see on YouTube of tens of thousands of football fans singing this song, waving the banners of the teams that are just staggering. got copied by teams in Scotland, Holland, Germany, even one in Japan. So it is a universal football song. always have thought what would Rogers and Hammerstein have made of that you know their reaction to this I'm sure they'd have been delighted with the royalties <laughs> whether Rogers would have been delighted with the treatment is open to debate <laughs> yes I don't know if he would have liked the Jerry and the pacemakers what do they call it mercy sound yeah I somehow think he wouldn't but I also think they would be thrilled to see 26,000 people in the Liverpool Stadium singing their song Well, 
I am a football fan myself, so I've been in a stadium where that and other songs have been sung, and it is a very, very powerful visual and audio experience. Let's talk about the movie of Carousel, which I've always thought is the weakest of the Rodgers and Hammerstein movies. And there's specific reasons as to why that is. Why are the other Rodgers and Hammerstein film adaptations better, number one, at least in my opinion, and better regarded by most people? There are a lot of reasons. And I totally agree with you. It is by far the weakest of the Rodgers and Hammerstein films. The first reason is they had very little control over this movie movie. Oklahoma, they had total control. It was produced by their own production company. There was a very, very complicated issue with obtaining the rights to Lilium. The film version of Lilium had been made by 20th Century Fox, and that gave them a right at the time when the musical was being filmed that superseded Rodgers and Hammerstein's own rights, even though they owned 100% of Carousel by that time. So they had very little input. You can point to the direct Director Henry King, whose only experience of directing a movie musical was Alexander's Ragtime Band, which was a very different type of film. I think he treated it, possibly based on that experience, he treated it as a musical comedy, not as a musical drama. The film version was seriously truncated. There was no narrative. And then another major factor was the Hayes Code, which existed at that time. And they absolutely shredded the dialogue. For a start, a very important part of the story of Carousel is Billy's suicide. They would not allow his death to be a suicide in the film. He accidentally fell on his knife in the film. And that leaves him appearing as rather pathetic rather than the tragic, tormented soul that he's supposed to be. I mean, I've got a list here of some of the cuts that the MPAA insisted upon. He couldn't say damn in soliloquy or what the hell or by God. Carrie complaining, if I had more sense, I wouldn't have had nine children. Had to be cut. Line from Stonecutters Cut It On Stone. A good man ain't no fun. And on and on, there's four pages of cuts demanded by the Hayes Code. So they turned a serious musical drama into a sugary, sanitized musical that it is. Gordon McRae, wonderful, wonderful voice, but playing Billy Bigelow demands a lot more acting ability than playing Curly. And, you know, he just didn't get the role. And to be fair to him, he steps into it unprepared. Absolutely, because uh, I think it's pretty well known these days that Frank Sinatra walked off set on the first day of shooting. After rehearsing it and recording all the songs, and you underlined that in your book, that he and Shirley Jones had rehearsed this together for months. Yeah, and had good chemistry between them. He's walking away from something he's invested a lot of time in. Eight weeks. I wonder what he'll think of me. I guess he'll call me the old man. I guess he'll think I can lick every other fella's father. Well, I can. I bet that he'll turn out to be the spitting image of his dad. 
But he'll have more common sense than his puddin' headed father ever had. I'll teach him to wrestle and dive through a wave when we go in the morning for our swim. His mother can teach him the way to behave, but she won't make a sissy out of him. Not him, not my boy, not me. And you investigate those reasons behind why he left, which never seem to add up. Still, we don't know what exactly happened there. We don't know exactly what happened. I recount a story that Shirley Jones was told that he went chasing after Ava Gardner because they were having difficulties in their marriage. I've read that story several places. It doesn't add up because the film that she was apparently working on had already opened. There was a story about they were using a a technique to film it in Cinemascope that involved the use of two cameras, which meant two takes for every scene, and Sinatra refused to do two takes. But in actual fact, by the time they were shooting, they'd resolved that issue and one camera was sufficient. So we will never know the truth. I gotta get ready before... Before she comes, I gotta make certain that she won't be brought up in slums with a lot of bums like me. It brings up the point, would Sinatra have been good as Billy Bigelow? She's gotta be sheltered and fed and dressed with the best that money can buy. I never knew how to get money. But I'll try, by gosh, I'll try. I'll go out and make it or steal it or take it or die. We'll never know that either. He'd have certainly been more menacing character. There's no question of that. To me, when I look at that film, I I describe it as it's like looking at the Mona Lisa with sunglasses painted over Mona Lisa's eyes. It's it's just not there. Mm -hmm. It's just not there. And it's such a pity because for a lot of people, it's the only carousel they will ever see. And they're not really seeing carousel. And I can vouch for that, but having produced the stage production of Carousel and having then audience members write you letters or come up to you afterwards saying, we're outraged that he commits suicide in this show. How dare you change it? And of course, you have to respond to them and either write a letter back and say, this is how Rogers and Hammerstein originally wrote it. It was the movie that changed it. But they don't know any better. That's what they know. And they're operating from that viewpoint. Exactly. Any of the great musicals needs a new version. It's that one, but I'm not sure it'll ever happen. There was some talk about it, but I'm skeptical. Hugh Jackman tried to get a production together, but it seems to have died a death. Shirley Jones, however, was Rogers Hammerstein's choice from the beginning. She was. She is the only artist who was ever signed to a contract with Rogers and Hammerstein. A seven-year contract, wasn't it? A seven-year contract, yeah. And this is before they cast her in anything. Yeah, they signed her up. They heard her singing. First of all, their production manager heard her sing. He called for Oscar Hammerstein. Oscar Hammerstein heard her. He called for Richard Rogers. And they were so taken aback with the quality of her voice and her appearance. They signed her up and put her in Me and Juliet. She did a stint in South Pacific. In the chorus of these shows. Yeah, and then straight into the film of Oklahoma. Amazing. Tell you what a f- 
Don't go away. Broadway Nation will be right back. Hi, this is David Armstrong, and even here in Seattle, warmer, sunnier days are on their way. So it's time to fuel up for them and meet your wellness goals with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Thanks to Factors' menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto, or my favorite, Vegetarian, Factors' fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. So what are you waiting for? Kickstart that new healthy routine with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week so you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can crush those wellness goals with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make everyday delicious from breakfast to dessert with restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. With no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. With Factor, you enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle, choosing from six menu preferences that help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced meals. Here's what you do. Head to factormeals.com BN50 and use code BN50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code BN50 at factormeals.com BN50 as in Broadway Nation 50, and you'll get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Do it today. So let's talk about post-Broadway, the revivals of Carousel. There are a number of them, although not as many as their other shows. No, it rather petered out during the 70s and 80s. I think it became neglected. As I describe in the book, it was a weird show with the lovely songs people would describe it as, and it sort of lost favour. And I think the movie contributed to that reputation. Undoubtedly. And by the mid to late 1960s and 70s, it was competing with The Sound of Music. And what movie musical could compete with The Sound of Music? And it wasn't until the National Theatre and its then artistic director, Richard Eyre, decided that the good Broadway shows were worthy of the same attention as Shakespeare and chose to do Carousel and chose Nicholas Heitner to direct. And that production, which I saw four times, changed Carousel's history. There's no question. And it hadn't been produced, at least on the West End, since the original production. No, I had never seen it until then. Why did why did it succeed so well? Because I think Heitner, he got to the soul of the subject. He went back to Molnar. The first thing he did when the cast assembled was to make them read Lillian. And he cast it with actor-singers rather than singer-actors, which is probably not something Rogers Hammerstein would have. They wanted singers who could act, but Heitner's priority was very much actors who could sing. He got the true grit of the show. He got the loneliness and the passion of the characters. He got the sexual energy. That was very much down to Kenneth McMillan, the choreographer, who brought that sexual energy into it. And who was Kenneth McMillan at this point? Kenneth McMillan was the choreographer of the Royal Ballet and certainly the UK's number one choreographer at that time. But not in musical theatre. He had done no musical theatre at all. Tell the story of Kenneth McMillan being invited to be the choreographer Mm -hmm. and what made him accept. 
Well, at first he didn't think he wanted to do a musical and he listed to Heitner the ballets that he had choreographed and he said, they're all about sex. I choreograph sex. And Heitner turned to him and said, well, Carousel is all about sex. And with that, Macmillan was on board. The tragedy is that he collapsed and died just before opening night, so he never knew what a triumph he had unleashed. It's very interesting because he doesn't, and he certainly was never going to copy Agnes DeMille in any way, shape, or form, being who he was and his prominence in his field. I remember the first 10 minutes of that production of Carousel. I would put them up with the greatest 10 minutes of theater I've ever seen. Their treatment of the prologue. The prologue was staggeringly wonderful. It was. Instead of taking place in the fairground, as the original prologue does, Heitner and Macmillan staged it in one of the mills that the mill workers were working. You had a long bench full of girls hard at work on the loom. Towering above them was a big clock ticking towards six o'clock. Behind them was this menacing foreman pacing up and down, making sure that they kept at their work till the very moment of six o'clock. It was a wonderful exhibition as to how hard conditions were for those girls at that time. And then when the clock strikes six, the set slowly dissolves away into the fairground. The girls put on their coats and walk out of the factory and then towards the fairground. And you get the rest of the more traditional prologue with Julie being helped onto a carousel horse and Billy paying considerable attention to her. And you see Mrs. Mullen glowering at what's going on. It is a wonderful innovation. And as you say, it set the tone for the whole show. And I have no hesitation, no doubt in my mind that both Rogers and Hammerstein would have been thrilled at that production. Even though, counter to Hammerstein's original instruction, the entire thing was danced. It became literally a ballet. Yes, but it was done so well. He would have forgiven them. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely, absolutely I am sure. You, I am sure you're right. They would have loved it because it was so theatrical and so sensational and yeah. told the story, enriched the story. Yeah, there is a rather dodgy video of the prologue on YouTube people can find. Certainly not high quality, but it, it does give you a sense. That's a production I so wish there was a video capture of, a quality pro shot of, because it was so amazing. The bench scene without a bench on a mound of grass. The sets themselves were part of the reason why it worked so well. The sets were designed by Bob Crowley, and he and Nick Heitner spent a considerable amount of time touring around the main coast, soaking in the atmosphere and looking at the buildings. It was so much more in keeping with the nature of the show. I think, the sets for this production of Carousel than the traditional male scene sets, which were good though they might have been, and I can't say how good they were because I didn't see them, but just from the photographs, they were very traditional. This was back to nature, this was back to earth, and that's what this production was all about, really showing these people in their real environment. They wore shabby clothes, Billy had grime on his face and dirt on his hands, which is how they would have been. And yet the sets were abstracted and in a very modern, quite captivating way. I was interested in that quote you had from Melziner about how, in hindsight, he would have designed the show differently had he seen the whole script before he had to design it. Yeah. And he would have not had a realistic carousel in the opening scene. What he said was that I would have figured out a way to make the turntable the major force behind the scenery, which is, of course, what Bob Crowley did. Yeah. That turntable became the major driving force of the scenery throughout the entire show. 
Time magazine voted Carousel the greatest musical of the 20th century. I'm sure that would not have happened had it not been for this production. I think you're absolutely right. Do you agree with that? Do you think it's the greatest musical of the 20th century? It's no use asking me, David. I'm biased. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, you go into the most recent revival of the show as well. I did come over to see that, yes. I don't know if your reaction was similar to mine. It was fine. It was good. It was not entirely captivating. That'll do, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I had been warned that I may struggle with it. Listen, I don't expect any show to be preserved in aspic and never, never change. But I I think the director, Jack O'Brien, I think he got in the way. I think he thought he knew better than Oscar Hammerstein. Maybe I'm doing him a disservice, I don't know, but it disappointed. One of the challenges, as you acknowledge even in the first chapter of your book, is to a great extent, Carousel is a story about spousal abuse, is about the cycles of abuse, which I find fascinating that Rogers and Hammerstein somehow are tapping into an idea that this is a cycle of behavior that reoccurs even at a time when that was not being discussed. They create a show called Carousel, where these things go round and round and continue on. There are two carousels, the carousel and the carousel of life. Yeah. And especially in terms of what we know today about abusive behavior and how it's a cycle of behavior. It absolutely is. And I felt I could not write a book about Carousel without acknowledging the fact that many people find it problematic today. And indeed, directors struggle with that. I'm sure Jack O'Brien was part of his challenge. Oh, undoubtedly. I say that in the book. Yes. How do you deal with it? And he left out those infamous last two lines about it being possible to hit someone and for it to not hurt at all. And Tim Sheeder left them out in Regent's Park production. And Nick Heitner regrets that he didn't change the show. But you know, I did a a certain amount of research into what is going on in this country today. And astonishingly, astonishingly to me, in this country, there can be an average of 50 incidents of domestic violence before the victim refers it to the police or to the authorities. 50. So, you know, the the struggles that Julie was going through when she sings What's the Use of Wondering, there's nothing new there, nothing that's not happening and being thought by women today. Common sense may tell you that the ending will be sad And now's the time to break and run Again, Roger and Hammerstein, Hammerstein especially, having this vision of the future in a way. An ability to see inside that woman's dilemma. write it so truthfully. Indeed. So when he wants your kisses, 
is observed and remarked upon in the bench scene. She says, yes, I would love you, even if I died for it. So she knows at the very beginning of the relationship, she knows what Billy is, she knows what she's letting herself in for, but she still goes with him. That scene and that song is basically a spoiler for the entire plot of Carousel. He tells you right then what's going to happen in the show, but it has a positive effect, not a negative spoiling Mm. kind of effect. Yes, This is probably an impossible question to answer, but how do we rectify these conflicting feelings that we have about Carousel today? Is there any one way to think about it, or do we just have to muddle through and figure it out the best we can in each production? I think you have to figure it out in each production. I saw that in Portland, Maine, this week, there is a production of Carousel just with two pianos, but it got an absolute rave review on Broadway.com for the sensitive way in which it was handled. So you have to rely on the skill of the directors, the skill of the cast to present it in such a way that audiences can see what's going on, but acknowledge it. You you have to find a way of sympathizing with Julie, not hating Billy, because if you hate Billy, there's no point in seeing the show, but acknowledging he's a human being with faults. There was a production in 2012 here, staged by Opera North, and there the director to use the prologue to show Billy being abused by his father as a child, which is so often how abusers are created. Again, these cycles of behavior. Yeah. My personal reaction to the show is it's a story of a man who makes big mistakes and then is offered the opportunity to atone for them. That's the whole point of him going back is to go back and try to make right what he's done wrong, which is what we all, I think, hope would happen to us, that we would all have a chance to atone for our past behavior. Where the show gets really challenging and having produced it a couple times, I wish Hammerstein had written eight more lines at the end of the show for Billy to just underline that that is actually happening. Just keep your faith and your courage. You'll come out all right. Like that song we used to sing every morning when I went to school. Maybe you still sing it, I don't know. When you walk through a storm, keep your chin up high. Know that one? Believe him, darling. Believe. I think it's very hard to bring forward in that final moments in the graduation scene exactly what happens, that he's finally able to give something to his daughter. Because at the end of the show, presumably he gets to go to heaven because of this therapy process he's gone through. But it's really challenging to make it work and to fit it into that space that they've given for it. I know it's too little to many people just saying, believe him, darling, believe him to his daughter and then to say to Julie, know that I loved you. It's too easy. I loved you, Julie. Know that I loved you. 
and that, as you say, is the problem. A few more lines would have been very welcome. I couldn't agree with you more. But as you say, Roger and Hammerstein are not around to write those lines, whether they would want to or not at this point. So then it becomes the director who has to figure out a way to fill in the blanks there with staging or something. Yeah. Again, going back to uh, Oscar Hammerstein's records, there are scraps of paper all over the place with variations on those final speeches uh, for both the doctor's speech and Billy's final words to Julie. So he may have been thinking along those lines and in the end run out of time. We'll never know. When I've seen this with other shows, you make a change that seems like you've solved the problem. And for that moment with those people on that set, in that staging, it does solve the problem, but it's not actually in the text enough for posterity. That's right. And of course, as you also point out, the reaction to this spousal abuse in 1944 is so completely different in the mindset of even the women, even Teresa Helburn, do not have a reaction to that the way we have a reaction to it today. She asked a lot of her friends what they thought about the character of Lillian, and none of them, I think the most severe comment was, you wouldn't rely on him to bring home the bread, but no one spoke about his violence. And these were articulate, well-educated women that Teresa Helburn was presumably associating with. Liberated women of their time. It's fascinating. I don't think it's fair for us to hold them to task for not thinking the way we think today. Absolutely not. And I don't think, as I've heard some people suggest, that Carousel should be stuck in a drawer forever, because whatever its faults, I do not believe that any man seeing Carousel is going to go home and start beating his wife because of it. In fact, the opposite, it's actually a story about how to break the cycle. Yeah. However successful it is in telling that story, that's what the story is about. We should be putting it front and center and figuring out a way to reinforce that, in my opinion. Agreed. This has been a fascinating conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for joining us today on Broadway Nation to talk about your new book, Round in Circles. Thank you very much once again for having me. I've enjoyed it too. Now, as promised, here's the information about how you can become a patron of Broadway Nation. A donation of just $7 a month will not only keep Broadway Nation rolling along, it will also provide you with exclusive access to the complete unedited versions of many of the interviews that you hear on this podcast. And all patrons will receive special on-air shout-outs and acknowledgments of your vital support for this podcast. To join, simply go to broadwaynationpodcast.supercast.tech. That's broadwaynationpodcast.supercast.tech. Or click the link in the show notes to this episode. Thank you in advance for your very generous support. Broadway Nation is written and produced by me, David Armstrong. Special thanks to Pals Mox for his help with editing this episode. To KVSH 101.9, the voice of beautiful Vashon Island, Washington, and to the entire team at the Broadway Podcast Network.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.